I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing in an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. What is good, everyone? Welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who want to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Casperson, and today I'm sitting down with Donna DeBerry. She's a trailblazer and pioneer in all things diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies. She has led efforts at brands like Nike, Starbucks, Indeed, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wyndham Worldwide, just to name a few. She is currently the Vice President of Global Inclusion at Seismic and CEO at the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce. Donna has received numerous awards and recognition featured in publications such as Fortune, Time, Money, Newsweek, Black Enterprise, Diversity Inc., and Essence in the Top 50 Women Shaping the World issue. She's even worked with Oprah Winfrey on The Oprah Winfrey Show, the NBA, the NFL, and the United States Olympic Committee. She has received awards for her production of the documentary Walking the Waking Journey. I am so excited to dive into all things diversity, equity, and inclusion with Donna. Welcome to What the Fintech. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Trust me. Uh, that was such a long introduction. Did I really do all that stuff? <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's like crazy to think about how many industries you've worked in and, you know, to have trailblazer and pioneer kind of just like attached to who you are. I mean, how does that feel when you think about like your career span? It is a career and it's a blink, but you know, the thing about any career is, what you leave and what you love, right? So, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion has always been my career path. I love it. It will be my legacy. And I'm just excited to have more dialogue with you. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, just going into it, I do want to talk about, you know, obviously financial services and you entering the fintech space and helping all things DEI there. But first, out of my own, just like curiosity, which of your many projects stands as maybe a highlight of your career so far and why? What really stands out when I think about the one thing, the footprint that you really get to leave, and I think it was honestly working on a project with Oprah to be able to take my passion and provide opportunities for the world to see what women are doing and how powerful women are in the world and some of the atrocities around women. I mean, it's leaving that footprint and reminding yourself of the footprint that you can leave in the world, right? Around equity, inclusion, and diversity. So I think that that was the thing that I remember the most, having that opportunity to be able to share with the world uh, some of the great things that some of the most powerful women in the world are, are doing and making a difference in people's lives. And so that along with, you know, I'll always say seismic because seismic has been, uh, when I think about startups, it's always been the, ba- it's really a fun place to work and doing a lot of great things for the industry of uh, sales enablement and fintech. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I'm like totally fangirling right now over uh, you working with Oprah Win- Winfrey. And I applaud kind of that being such a highlight, right? Because you had pretty much the largest stage, right, possible, practically, um, with with her platform to kind of spread the message, right, of everything that you just said. And then bringing that into financial services and fintech, I mean, through Seismic is so important. We're so lucky to have you here, part of this industry. So I would love if you could share with us that personal story that led you to feel passionate about bringing your experience as a DEI leader to the fintech and financial services arena. You know, you ask about a personal story about bringing it to fintech. 
And I think it's more than just the personal story. I think about growing up, talking about financial literacy and even talking about finances in my household just wasn't something that my parents did. And I just don't think that it was really an adult quote, an adult conversation. And I was never groomed or mentored or my parents to talk to me about how important money is. How do you save your money? How do you grow wealth? None of that was the conversation. And then when I think about that as a Black person, right, the Black community and other communities of color are so uneducated and unprepared for working either in the financial industry or with a bank or a financial advisor or a broker. And when entire communities are really left out of this space, you aren't given the opportunity to build the wealth. And it leads to this huge gap in generations, this generational wealth that we talked about in America today. And so I just think that this is the most of any other time in history. This is a time where financial services and fintech as an industry can really step up and really begin to help educate and mentor people around the importance of uh, financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, a huge North Star of what the fintech and everything I'm doing here is really just that is kind of showing that if we work from within the fintech and financial services industry to change you know, how we operate, then that can actually trickle down and help, right? The the end user that can open up more, you know, access to that uh, financial equity for all, like my T-shirt says, um, that we all are so striving for. And you know, between the the pandemic and just like more access to financial services through you know mobile apps and digital and the rising technology, what a better time than literally right now to help close those gaps in any way that we can. And you've devoted you know your entire career and life almost, if you will, to that. And I want to dive into a lot of the kind of action items and like those, your secret sauce to bringing these DEI strategies to all these different brands. And I think maybe it starts with first defining or explaining like the difference between equality and equity, right? Because that distinction is so important. And we had that that switch, right? There. I feel like before the pandemic, we were talking about diversity, equality, and inclusion, and then we changed it to officially be diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'd just love for you to explain you know, why we made that change and why it's so critical. Many people say, and it's true, everyone has an equal opportunity to grow, to build wealth, to get into financial services, to get into this industry, this field. Everyone has the opportunity. Well, that's true, but it's not always an equitable opportunity. And so many people confuse equality and equity. And when you think about equality, it means everyone is given the same opportunity. And although equity and equality both promotes fairness, equality achieves this through treating everyone the same, regardless of the needs. Equality means that each individual and groups of people are given the same resources and opportunities, while equity achieves this through treating people differently depending on their needs. And so when we talk about equity, equity recognizes that each person has a different circumstances and allocates the same specific resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. And in the workplace, we look at equity and inclusion more personal. We customize these approaches to address the needs of individual employees because not everyone in a company will need the same thing to be able to achieve success. And so equity takes a lot of thought. It's intentional planning, deliberate consideration, and personalized approach because the main focus is to meet a person's individual need and to identify what resources are required to allow them to maximize the potential and bring their authentic self to work. So when you are creating kind of these like blueprints or like action items for the for that success for a company to actually help, you know, move these needles that we want to so badly, I mean, does it start really with like employees first and you kind of customizing, right? Those those equitable experiences, right? As opposed to having this blanket like oh no, everyone is treated the same and we're totally just going to ignore like the societal discrepancies between you know race and gender and that has always kind of not made the playing field even for so long. But yeah, do you address like the employee aspect first or kind of where do we start? 
Yeah, so we do. So we, you know, the one thing that we do at Seismic is that we listen to our employees and we do that through many different vehicles. One is that our employee, we have a a survey that we send out around the employee experience. The other thing is that we have focus groups and we've created these communities of belonging and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion council, and all of those things that really give us insights on what we should be doing differently to make sure that every employee has an equitable opportunity to be promoted, to be developed, and to make sure that everything is on a playing field. So it's not about raising the playing field or leveling the playing field. It's about raising the playing field for all people. And when you put race and gender in the mix of that, we know that there are some inequitable things that happen for people of color and for women. And so companies that are doing it well, or even companies that have a desire to do it well and a commitment Um, Like we do at Seismic, we have that commitment to do better, to make sure that we're raising the playing field for all people. These are some of the things we, we can't do it without making sure that we bring our employees to the table and ask them what's important to them. And so it starts at a bottom, you know, we've taken a bottom up at a top down approach because the next piece is really about executive accountability. I love that you are covering the whole situation, right? Because um, I think sometimes we have these like binary views of how we're supposed to tackle a problem. So it's like, oh, well, we either do bottom up or we do top down or we do whatever, like, or we only do one thing or it's a marketing campaign or like, you know, let's all change our social media bios to say like Black Lives Matter and then like let it go away after like the buzz is over, you know, Mm. like there's just so many things that like are part of this. And I think to have kind of it cover the whole situation, like bottom up and top down, because that's the next layer of it, right? Is like, yes, it's super important to make sure the current employees you have now are a part of the conversation and then, you know, the ones you're bringing in, right? But also you have to have people that are, you know, you have to have black people, you have to have women, you have to have diversity in the room where it happens in the C-suite. So, I mean, how do you kind of like go about helping a company just decipher through that? Because I think that almost can feel harder for companies to diversify their C-suites. Yeah, C-suites are always the hardest. And and not because companies don't believe in diversifying their C-suite. Many companies, think about it, startups. Yeah. Startups are all, what are you doing? You're really trying to, you know, be profitable. You're looking at IPOs. You're looking at, you know, I mean, you're looking at so many things when you're starting up, right? That investment, you know, where am I going to get my next round of funding, right? Capital, getting capital and all of those things are, that's what you're focused on. And what happens with startups is that, and this isn't bad or good. This is just how startups operate, right? They're so busy doing all those things. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, well, we're making it. We're, you know, we're profitable, all of those things. And they look back and they're like, oh, look at our people, right? Uh Mm Uh-oh. And then they start thinking, if we want to continue to be innovative in a global marketplace, that we've got to make sure that we have people from all backgrounds. We need women. We need people of color. And we're not even going to be able to attract people of color and women if they don't see themselves at the top, because they they want to know that they can aspire to be an executive. And these executives need to be able to inspire people who aren't at the top, right? Well, they can say, listen, this is how you get there. They're mentors to people who are striving, climbing this corporate ladder. So it's really important that executives understand the critical reason, the business proposition of why it's important to have diversity in their top ranks in that C-suite. I mean, and it's not just like because it's the right thing to do. It is also, and it's good for business. At the end of the day, there's enough data and research out there to literally show us that more diversity in the C-suite means a more profitable business, means more diverse product offerings, and all of the things that you want in a business. So it is kind of like crazy to think about sometimes why this isn't, you know, always a top initiative, right? But I love that you bring in kind of the startup 
perspective because that's I that makes sense and I think people especially like my audience with fintech professionals will resonate with that right when you're starting out you're kind of just looking around the room of people that you already know and trust to help you and most of the time those are people who look like you right and and in fintech right. the folks that get the most funding are typically white men as yep. we've seen right 2% of VC funding going to women one of the things i think as an industry and even as a DEI leader is that I don't think we've done enough to talk about how DEI impacts performance growth. And I don't think that we've done a great job in making sure that this data, that our execs read this data, that they understand the data and white men don't talk about it enough. And so when you look at these reports like McKinsey and company that show that there is a linear relationship between racial and ethnic diversity and a better financial performance. Mm -hmm. And that is that for every 10% increase in racial and ethnic diversity on a senior executive team, the earnings before interest and taxes, EBITDA, rise 0.8%. Or that Harvard Business Review, they conducted a study and the report on diversity policies found that having a diverse workforce helped companies acquire and retain some of the best talent and build em- employee engagement, increase innovation, you know, or that diversity out-innovates and outperform others and that employees of these companies are 45% more likely to report that their firm's market uh, share grew over previous years and 70% more likely to report that a firm captured a new market. Those are the numbers that even if you're a CEO, white, black, pink, yellow, (laughs) dog, cat, female, I don't care. Those numbers right there would excite me. And I would be running, running, if I was the CEO looking for diverse talent from all backgrounds, ethnicity, gender, skills, culture, experiences, so that I can continue to be innovative in a global marketplace where global diversity has such different meanings. So it's important for these companies, if they want to stay competitive and comparative, to make sure that they pay attention to the studies and the data how DE&I impacts performance growth. Thank you so much for sharing that because it's like, that's how I feel like saying this all the time, right? I feel like I'm like, if I was the founder of a company, I would definitely be like running, like you said, to make sure that my team was diverse because that's like the long game, like, right? The long game is to ensure that like, yeah, maybe your company is going to be okay for now because you're bringing in your friends, but like down the road, what's going to happen? You know, you your, your circles are just going to get you're just going to keep kind of creating this circle of like not diversity until exactly like you said, you wake up one day like, ah, crap. Uh, Now what? And now I'm, what am I going to, what stat am I going to be now? Right. But why do you think, why do you think we're not talking about this enough? Or why do we think that, I mean, it's right. Like for folks like you and I, we feel like we talk about it all the time, but like when you're sitting there, you know, helping a company out, what is outside of, is it fear? Like, what is it that you think is, or a couple of things, I guess, that come to mind for you. I just think that companies have operated in such a way for so long. I mean, you now have a, a new generation of talent that's coming into the marketplace, a younger generation that's been exposed to a global thinking through tech- leveraging technology. It's very different. Um, even in the financial world, I mean, wealth is changing. It's not Mm -hmm. the old wealth from your, you know, your grandparents. It's this new generation of wealth that's coming up and they think very differently and they've been exposed to so, so many more different types of people. But when you look at who's literally running the financial world, it's still mostly older white males. And so, you know, they have a different behavior set and it's not a discussion it's literally, the discussion is is literally like, how do we continue to grow, 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 make more money, make more money, right? And so they don't always think about these things, but they do bring in what I love that CEOs have, they always have done this. They bring in subject matter experts. And so maybe what's missing is to bring in subject matter experts on DE&I to continuously help you understand how that really can pivot your business model. And I don't think that the, uh, you, they think that way all the time. 
Mm -hmm. Um, They'll bring in experts to do everything else, right? Mm -hmm. They don't even, like, how do you make sure that you are attracting the right people? How are you retaining the talent that you have? What do you need to do? Young people are saying there's so much research and data on this. I think it was um, when I was at Indeed, we did a survey and I remember this, it was a global survey and over 70% of people, of candidates, right? Job seekers said that it was important for them to be with a company that honors, and I'm using the word honor, that really practices diversity, equity, and inclusion. That was really important to them. Mm -hmm. I just think that, Companies have just been doing what they know. And there's a risk, right? There's a fear of going into something that you don't know. You've not studied it. It hasn't been a practice. You haven't, this hasn't been something that's been taught in, you know, at Harvard as one of your main courses, (laughs) you know, in the Ivy League school as a main course to be able to graduate. We need to start all the way back to high school, to, to middle school. Like these business courses aren't saying, let's talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, right? So it, you know, it's all of those things. I think that why it's really not happening Mm -hmm. as fast as it could happen. Right, right. Exactly. Like emphasis on kind of, because progress is happening. It's slow, but exactly like as fast as it could is maybe even, and it's so interesting to think about like taking it even as back as to, you know, like middle school, high school, that educational factor, because you're so right. You know, it's, And it's like that across so many different industries, even, you know, as someone who's been in the news industry and media for a long time, it's like when you write for like a publication or a newspaper or whatever, diversity, equity, inclusion is like, they're not considered, they sometimes aren't considered real news pieces or they get off, put off in a category on the, all on their own, as opposed to being like in the same category as like, you know, oh, this is how you create the best revenue or this is how you create the the best this or that. Like instead it's like, oh, and then by the way, if you just so happen to be interested in DE and I, here's some content on that. You know, it's like putting right. it together right. instead of making it this like separate thing. And it's kind of a part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is to help say this is this is top news. This doesn't go into some like side category that people can just read when it's, you know, a certain month or when things are happening or whatever. They should be talking and reading about it all the time. I absolutely agree with you on that. You said something that really struck me, and that is one of the things that happens for diversity, equity, inclusion is that they continuously call it a program. Mm. When you call something a program, it's an added addition to it. It's like, you know, an ancillary um, product. a learning and development. Right, 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 right. But when it is embedded into your overall strategy, as a company strategy, that becomes very different. I mean, right now, even the U.S. House of Representatives, the, the committee, the House committee, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> politics here, is taking into consideration diversity practices for financial service industries. Their hope is that banks and others will work to ensure that their institutions are inclusive and as diverse as their customers and the communities that they serve. So they're looking at, I mean, the U.S. House is even looking at like, how are we going to hold financial services and the industry? How are we going to hold them accountable for inclusion and diversity? That's a game changer right there. When something like that happens as someone that's just been in the industry for so long, you know, been been on this, how does that kind of make you feel? I mean, you're new, you know, new to financial services and kind of being a part of that realm, but you've been doing this strategies for DE&I for so long. How, yeah. How's it feel when you see something like that? I feel like now we're talking about it being recognized at the top, yeah. <laughs> right? Now we're talking about that, that top down situation. Now right? we're talking about that top down situation, right? Right. right? Oh my goodness. For good reasons, for good reasons. Your customers are asking, you know, at Seismic, our customers are asking us about our DE&I really? initiatives. Yes. And, and literally we even have customers who are just like, oh, before we sign this contract, we want to know what are you doing in diversity, equity, inclusion? Tell us some of the, the initiatives that you have. What are you working on? What are you doing? And this isn't just seismic. We know that all industries are being asked this question. So really for companies that are really interested in really hitting that market goal, they should be touting about it not waiting for their customers to ask about it, to say, oh, by the way, we have diversity, equity, and you you didn't need to ask. Here's Mm -hmm. what we're doing. Matter of fact, potential customer, 
tell us what you're doing. <laughs> that puts everybody on a playing field that's like, oh, wait, I don't, I don't want to miss that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really critically important because what you're saying is that I'm not going to buy products and services. I'm not going to partner with this company just based on their products and services, but I'm also going to partner with this company, this potential customer, this particular organization based on their values. Mm-hmm. And that to That's me is where that is the key and where we should all be. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I mean, this is exactly why even my content is for like fintech operators. I feel like sometimes my content can get uh, mistaken for being super consumer facing and there's aspects of fintech that totally are. But like, no, I'm I'm talking to you industry. Like I'm talking to you guys and saying, hey, like, no, this starts with us and it starts with like us changing. I kind of love to use the phrase like fintech can help change the world when it's ready to change itself. And if we just keep operating like traditional financial services, we're never going to be, you know, that that change that we wish to see. And if our businesses are doing well, that that does trickle down to the end consumer. So it really does start with us. And so as we're kind of just, I guess, talking about seismic anyway, I would love to kind of hear a little bit about, and I guess for those that don't know, it is an AI powered sales enablement platform. Super cool. Definitely check it out. I'll put some links to Seismic on the show notes and their Twitter and everything. But would you just like share with us what your experience has been like so far implementing these you know, strategies and all these this knowledge that you've shared with us even so far into the fintech sector? You know, what are what are the highs and lows so far? So I would say more highs than lows. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, <laughs> more highs than lows. <laughs> you know, it's really been very welcoming, to say the least. And not only has it been welcoming at Seismic, but our customers, like I said, have given us really positive feedback on our DEI initiatives that we've launched over the year and more. I can't say it enough, more and more customers are including DEI related questions on their RFP, which is really great to see. And it means more organizations in the fintech sector and financial services are putting diversity, equity, and inclusion in their processes for long term, that it, it's not just a hot topic, right? They're really thinking about it. And at Seismic, we are totally committed. I mean, like I said, it's been a top-down, bottom-up approach. We've even reached out to our customers to ask questions like, what are you doing in supplier diversity? Um, How are you connecting minority and women-owned businesses to your procurement process? And our customers are asking the same thing. So when I think about all the achievements things that we're looking at in the fintech sector and how they're even reaching out to us, asking us questions about what we're doing. It's a game changer right now. There are short term and long term, but but in this industry, people are asking us, what are we doing? And I can tell you that today we are absolutely leaders in our industry. We're doing a lot. I'm always benching against our competitors, by the way, <laughs> and seeing what they're doing. I'm sneaking in the back door. Smart. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have a CEO who is dedicated. I mean, not just, he's not lip service. He's he's about legacy. And yeah. he wants to leave something to our industry. He doesn't care about competition in this manner. He's like, look, We have an obligation, understanding that underserved and underrepresented talent for women and for people of color in industries that like fintech, like sales enablement are far and few between. Let's come together, forget our competitive set and come together as an industry and be the game changer. Exactly. And he's leading that effort. And that's amazing. And it really takes that that allyship, right? Because, you know, Seismic's CEO is a white man, right? It's someone that is like saying, hey, you know, I, I want us to do better collectively. And I always think about how any kind of like horizontal like oppression is like not the way we all need to be in this together. We're not supposed to like, we're really not supposed to fight each other on this and we need the allyship and we need all leaders. Like it doesn't, yeah, black, white, polka dot, whatever. You don't have to just be a person of color or a female leader or a black leader or whatever to like want to be an advocate of this. Everyone should be talking about this. And I mean, when you think about like, I guess what is like, if you could share like an example of maybe one of the first things or that you implemented, like when you got to Seismic or have been trying to just kind of everything we've talked about, right? Like 
how does that maybe come into like an action item, right? When you are at a fintech company. I mean, the first step is just, you need to analyze and assess a needs assessment. You've got to analyze what does your organization look like, think like, be like, I mean, just all of those things, Mm -hmm. right? Look at your data set, right? Look at your demographics, get information around your the employee experience, and then go into demographics around that. So just because your employee survey may say 90% think we're a great company, but you dig deeper and you find out that only 5% of women feel like it's a, a great company to work for, that's a different data set. And that helps you understand where your uh, your gaps are. And then second thing I would say is that we did, that we implemented. First of all, what we did is we created a DEI council. That was our very first step. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's comprised of employees from different backgrounds, gender, different departments, different levels, all of those things, because we needed to get that insight from them of what where our gaps are and what they'd like to see for us to be one of the best companies for them to work for. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, so from that, we created these communities of belonging. They're also known as employee resource groups at other companies. But we did that because we really wanted to get the perspective, leverage it for insights, products, all types of things to help us with our initiatives, to help us embed this. I would say the next thing is, you know, I met with our executive team and we talked about what could be their contribution. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they totally agreed to is like, we wanted to embed that in our overall, in each executive's OKRs or their department roadmaps. And so you can't get any better when you say walk the talk, man, they're doing the damn thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Lit. <laughs> uh, l- yep. Done. Yeah. Check. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's those types of things. We have a, a very aggressive. We're partnering and have a very aggressive attraction and recruitment strategy, and very different. Like we're not going down the same rabbit holes where everybody else is looking for blacks and women and people of color. You know, like let's let's all go down the same well. We're thinking about things that are very differently. How do we attract differently? Where do we go to recruit differently than you know the same well that everybody else is looking? And so. That's where Doug came up with Doug Winter, our CEO, that said, listen, we're going to call this enableship for sales enablement. And we're going to create an opportunity, an industry opportunity and be the leaders in the industry of looking for talent um, and partnering with the Sales Enablement Society and SV Academy to not only look for talent, but train talent. So here's what I say to our allies. You got to have an invitation to the table, first Mm -hmm. of all. You've got to invite people to the table, to dinner, introduce them to your network, and then really refer people from underrepresented groups to fintech companies, you know. And if you're a leader, you should be mentoring. Yeah. So we created an amazing mentoring program. Um, We're piloting that. And so don't say you want to do it. Lip service is lip service. Everybody should be going from lip service to legacy. That is where you should be moving your organization. Be what you say that you want to be. Do it. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, And that, I think, is maybe the Donna DeBerry t-shirt, right? From lip service to legacy, <laughs> or like no more lip service to legacy, right? Or, or, or it's a, it's then. actually a book that I'm writing called Lip Service to Legacy. Really? So if anybody's trying to steal it, it's already trademarked. Right. www dot it. All right, all right. Oh shoot. Okay. Well, you hear that? She's also writing a book, guys, because she c- couldn't do enough things. And so, oh my gosh, no, that's awesome. Thank goodness. I don't, I don't know where that time is. Thank yeah. goodness. Well, someone needs to write the book, right? Like, so that's actually awesome. All right. Okay. When that book comes out, we'll definitely uh, maybe have to do. Uh, continue the conversation here. So yeah, I mean, really, really awesome. I think maybe another question I have before I jump into asking a little bit about uh, your other role with the Central San Diego uh, Black Chamber of Commerce is kind of maybe in seismic with these are really amazing examples, by the way, thank you so much for sharing them. How do you kind of like help employees feel like they are guaranteed that safe space to be super honest on certain like feedback surveys and that type of thing. Cause I know I've been in a situation where I thought, 
does my company really think this is anonymous or like, will I get in trouble or what, you know? So how do you kind of create that safe space, especially for you know, people of color and women who have, haven't had that safe space all the time? Listen, in full transparency, it was difficult because mm-hmm. people are that I'm that way. I mean, you know, like I need to know yeah. that I have a safe space to right. say what's real for me. And that's not always provided in many companies, right? They say they want to hear it, but then they don't understand how women and people of color have been, you know, historically fired or historically left behind Mm -hmm. because they're so honest. And one of the challenge I hear all the time from people of color is like, there's no way I'm black. I I can't be honest. I'm Hispanic. I can't be honest. I'm a woman. Are you kidding? That's for privileged white males to be authentic and honest and never get fired or never not be promoted. I'm on a promotion trail. I am definitely not going to say what's really happening here. You hear it all the time in every company, by the way. And so at Seismic, the one thing I have to say about Seismic is the executives, especially Doug Winter, he talks about transparency all the time, and he's led that and embedded that throughout the company. But still, even then, right, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a trust factor that has been so historic, especially for people of color with white people for so long. It's just, it's just historic, right? Exactly. And, um, And so what we've done is creating these communities of belonging. We have, and with Doug and the other execs, we have not included them as sponsors yet. We've given this platform for people to talk about, uh, but we've given a platform that everybody can come to, the women's group, the black group, the Hispanic group, the people with disabilities, whatever that group is, right? We've given them the platform to be authentic and transparent, and this is the safe space for them to talk. We've also invited people from all backgrounds to come to these because it's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is if you don't be authentic and transparent about your experience, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to leave. And when you leave, then you're going to go to someplace else and it, it'll be a repetitious cycle. So you have a choice. You can stand up and believe that your self-worth and your values and what you bring is so amazing that even if you got fired, you can go someplace else. But you have to be, you have to be that that rock. We have to change the fear factor of being afraid to say something because you've internalized a bias that is literally taught, right? Some of that bias is taught. Some of the experiences in your life have told you, you better not speak up. You know what's going to happen. You're a woman. Yeah. They're not going to take you serious. Yeah. You better not say anything if you want to get promoted. We've internalized someone else's bias towards us, towards our gender and towards our ethnicity. And we've that is where we've got to cre- always kind of create these safe spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Safe spaces. And I think we've done that. And we've done it well at Seismic of allowing people to be transparent and the executives jump all over it. The minute they hear it, they jump on it in a good way. They're like, wait, they said, what Donna, what are we going to do with that? Mm -hmm. What do we need to do? Not Donna, what do you need to do? Donna, what do we need to do to help with that particular experience? I mean, and just what an amazing way to also address kind of like workplace trauma and to uh, help remove that. That's a huge thing. I mean, I'm, Full transparency, I'm only 27 years old. And before this job, all my other jobs, plenty of workplace trauma with experiences of, you know, being an Asian American woman in male dominated industries. Not not the cleanest sweep uh, in the last five years. Right. And so I've definitely had my own personal stories. But, yeah, I, I, I think that's also this, the other thing that you're addressing there at Seismic with um, the way that you're doing things and the, the things that you've implemented and the strategies. So really just so awesome. And I really do hope so many fintech operators listen to this and founders and investors and everyone and, you know, can take back all of those amazing stories and tangible action items that that you've shared. So, you know, Nicole, it's not easy. That's all I want to say. It's not easy. I want companies to know they're going to fall forward 
They're going to step all over themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to eat lunch and just want to <laughs> like, oh my, did I really say that or do that? Of course you did. Yeah. But here's the difference. When you can own it and acknowledge it and be vulnerable around it as exactly. a leader, your employees will follow you to the end of the world because so that is inclusive leadership. So true and so well said. Oh, thank you so much, Donna. I want to also ask you a bit about just the uh, being the CEO of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce. I couldn't leave you have you leave this podcast without me addressing that as well. Will you share just more uh, about that organization and you know what you're working on there? Our mission at the Central San Diego Black Chamber is really to create this generational wealth through business enterprise and education and investing employment. And we kind of utilize these innovative programs and partnerships and network opportunities to advance and strengthen this inclusive economic development throughout the county of San Diego. And during COVID, minority and women-owned businesses were basically disproportionately financially hit the hardest. And Historically, this lack of access to investment capital and financial resources and development really hindered and has always hindered, you know, this economic growth for Black-owned businesses. And COVID really just exacerbated this systemic challenge by disproportionately excluding underrepresented businesses from getting financial help that they needed to economically rebound from the pandemic. So for the last I would say for two and a half years, the chambers raised $3 million to help struggling underserved businesses stay afloat. And through partnerships with financial institutions, we've created these initiatives and urban resource business center that really helps provide business development and financial resources and networks and, you know, for minority and women owned businesses. And even at Seismic, we we really want to contribute to the economic growth of small owned businesses. So I've been diligently in the fields, making sure that not just black businesses, but small owned minority and underrepresented businesses have a voice at the table, that they have economic opportunities to compete in the marketplace and that they're being developed and that they have access. It's the number one reason for failure of minority and women-owned businesses, access to capital, access Mm -hmm. to development, and Mm -hmm. access to opportunities. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And thank you for saying that. I've definitely had former colleagues literally say, oh, well, anyone can start their own business. Why don't, like, the door is wide open. Why don't they? And I'm like, ooh, this is a very triggering comment you've made here, sir, because um, what are you talking about? Like, there, you literally are, you know, a CEO of an entire organization addressing this for, you know, for San Diego. And I mean, it happens all over the country, all over the world. So, you know, I appreciate you bringing that to light, right? And, and working every day to address that. And I, I think, you know, fintech, one of my predictions of fintech is that there will be kind of more growth for the small to medium-sized business sector in helping, you know, automate some tasks, help them, you know, if they don't have e-commerce, help them get there because it's a still a pandemic and not everyone wants to go shopping in person or whatever it is. So I'm really excited and looking forward to where fintech can kind of meet that space a bit more. And, you know, who knows now that you're in, you know, seismic and the financial services and fintech space, we can see some more like collab between the, your two current kind of endeavors and just seeing it really help one community and you know, who knows what can roll out and, or snowball from there. So really kudos to you on that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I know we're getting to the end of our conversation. One of the last things I might have to ask you about is the uh, Oprah Winfrey aspect. (laughs) Um, Quick question. When it comes to kind of like working on a project kind of of that scale and working like on like the Oprah Winfrey show and that type of thing, kind of compared to like the startup narrative that we've typically seen, I mean... Is it easier to work when your the platform is so big, like an Oprah Winfrey show, or is it harder compared to a startup? What a great question. I mean, I even think about like when I was VP at Nike, right? Yeah. A big organization compared to Indeed that at the time I was in Indeed, it was a startup and great. Seismic and some other startups that I've been consulting for, I consulted with in the past. They're at different junctures. That's the thing to say, because a company that has been around a long, a large company, 
they have a way that they've been doing business for a long time, right? So it's really it's really interesting to work with them because you're asking them not to change their business model, but to pivot some of the way that they've been doing business, right? With a startup, it's a little bit easier because you're on the ground floor. You have a blank canvas to really start engage into dialogue that you know that is going to help them go from startup, you know, to the next phase of their business. It's easy because you're embedding and integrating into a a business model that's still fresh and new and innovative. Mm-hmm. And they listen because they're a startup, right? They're just they're just like, well, what do we need to do differently? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be more competitive in this space of diversity, equity, inclusion. I know we have nothing but white men on our board, but so, okay, so what should we find? I mean, they're open. They're way more open. The difference is a large company has a lot of money to spend on these initiatives. Mm -hmm. If you look at Google or Facebook or, you know, they have a ton of money to spend on these initiatives. So you've got more resources to spend. It's just very different depending on where each company is and and their business model. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was definitely thinking of it the whole time ever since at the top when you were like, the Oprah Winfrey show is probably what like what I was so uh, super proud of. Um, but it did make me think of kind of like just the differences there because it totally depends on who, you know, where your business is at and that type of thing. And, you know, from a huge platform to a small one um, and all the things that we can do. And, you know, obviously sometimes doing the work, as we like to call it, is, um, you know, can sometimes feel frustrating. It can be hard on your mental health. There's so many things. So mm-hmm. um, what is maybe your biggest tip for keeping your own mental health in check? Oh, my gosh. My, my Donna's mental health <laughs> or everybody's mental health? Your, no, no, yours. <laughs> yours. Not everyone's. <laughs> just yours. <laughs> so I drink plenty of margaritas. Uh, so, you know, it's funny. Yes. Uh, so someone asked me, like, what do you, you know, about be, having a home office? Like, how are you working these days? And I started laughing. I'm like, well, I'm in a hybrid mode, right? Right. So I'd say 90% home office and 10% I go into the office. But I laugh because I changed my office. This is hilarious. I decided I wanted a she cave. And my she cave, she shed. Literally, I took my sunroom and I have a sofa. I have a karaoke machine. I tricked it out with the latest and greatest technology. Um, I have my the best music I could ever karaoke to and listen to while I'm working. And I put a margarita machine in my office. So see, this is how I'm dealing with COVID. This is how I deal with stress. It's just, you, you got to find your niche of what makes you happy. I bought a puppy. And like, I love my dog. You know, <laughs> it's, it, I can't stress enough how, um, especially during COVID mm-hmm. and all the, you know, no one knows, like, you know, you're, you're in this area of darkness that, you know, it keeps <laughs> this, all these different variants. You think you're going back to work. You're not going back to mm-hmm. work. And so. This is a time to reflect of what's really important to you as an individual. Look at not only your career, but your personal life and decide what things are so stressful that you need to remove. Are you with the right company? Or is this the organization for you? Are you being valued? How are you connecting to people? If you're an extrovert and you're used to being in an office, setting and now everything's over a zoom Mm -hmm. what are you doing for pleasure like you know how are you socializing um i don't know i don't want everybody to answer what they're doing for pleasure let's just keep that let's just keep that but you know it's seriously you know and set up your if you have a if you're working remote try to find a place in a space you know cut off a time some kind of way like you've got to have time for you because this is where mental health goes down really quick is when you can't find time for yourself and enjoy the things that matter to you exactly Uh, and get help if this is too much the other thing is is that we're so afraid to ask for help Mm -hmm. most companies have all kind of help for people right now look at your benefit plan and see where you need the help Mm -hmm. ask for it Exactly. Be okay to talk to your manager and leader. I mean, sometimes people don't understand what you're going through. Look, I've been on calls where the, the husband, the male husband is rocking the baby, feeding the baby, 
petting the dog, and we're on a Zoom call talking about work. Like you have to set your leaders up for success too by telling them what you're working, what you're dealing with in your home life if you're still working remote. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And and know, and I love that because the hybrid life is, you know, it, it can have its um, highs and lows and. But for the most part, you know, puppies, margarita machines, she shed ants, time to yourself. And then also making sure that you're, you know, talking within communication within your own company, right? Gosh, that could be so hard for people. But thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am now officially calling my office home studio that I'm in right now my she shed. And so thank you so much. Donna, final thoughts. Please remind everyone what the F we can expect from you and Seismic next. Oh my gosh. So next, I would say is enableship. I've been talking about it a little bit through this conversation, but I think the real change that you're going to see and next for Seismic in the DEI space is looking at how we can impact an entire industry, um, be the leaders in DEI, uh, be the examples of what a company should look like around values, around the culture of the organization. Seismic has a great culture. All we're going to do is continuously enhance that culture. And I think when you see an ship and how we're just changing industry through um, making sure that we are attracting and recruiting people and building a pipeline of leaders, that's the key for us is that we know we're no different than anyone else in the industry. There's a lack of women and people of color in the tech industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Let's grow our own. Exactly. Let's feed up the pipeline from the bottom up, from the bottom, and let's promote to the top. And so that's what you're going to see next with Seismic. Snap, snap on that one. Snaps all around for you, Donna. And thank you so much again for joining our industry, uh, for bringing your expertise uh, to the show and to just fintech and financial services. We we need more people like you. And so thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate your time here. That is a wrap on this episode of What the FinTech. Thank you again to Donna for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you all soon. Leave